0: To address You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: And good morning, and welcome to America's Web Radio. And we are delighted to have an individual on the farm. It's uh, Farmer Charles. Charles is from uh, uh, parts unknown. We're not sure where his farm is exactly, but uh, we do know that he is quite a gardener, quite a uh, vegetable gardener. And uh, I'd like to introduce him to uh, the uh, Immigration Hour. I'm sure he uses immigrants out on probably uh, documented immigrants on his uh, on his uh, vegetable garden. But uh, say we'll just say a big America's Web Radio howdy to Mr. Charles Cook.
2: Well, well, David, thank you so much for giving me a great welcome to the Immigration Hour on the gardening minute that we have going on this year.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> You know, David, uh, I'm a little bit late today because traffic nightmare. nightmarish. So there's an accident here, but uh, uh, the garden, I was away this week. My son got married.
1: Right, right. In
2: Utah, and so I was out of town from Wednesday until uh, late uh, Saturday night. Uh, and I noticed you didn't have any rain while I was gone.
1: Well, that depends on whether you were living right or not.
2: Right. I guess in certain parts, one block had rain and one part didn't. We didn't have any rain while I was gone. But thank goodness I have a wonderful uh, neighbor and friend who came over and uh, made sure my garden didn't pass away from uh, from drought uh, this uh, this last week, and everything was great in the garden. And I was picking some squash uh, yesterday morning, and uh, squash is delicious. Although David, I still have no tomatoes.
1: Well, my tomatoes uh, are, are there; they just haven't quite ripened yet.
2: In mine, I, I have very few tomatoes the plants are looking okay. They're kind of struggling still. I think it's uh, I think it's just the heat. I didn't get them in the ground fast enough, and uh, they're just not growing very big this year. Last year I had giant trees with tons of tomatoes, and this year, just not looking good.
1: Well, you, you know the formula for rain, don't you?
2: Uh, no, I don't. I wish I did.
1: Oh, well, it's very simple, uh, really. Uh, I, I used it the other night, as a matter of fact. I used it Saturday uh, uh or friday night and i really watered my garden well on friday night so what do you think happened on saturday afternoon late? Oh, it
2: poured at your house it poured in buckets
1: <laughs> so sunday uh i went into the garden in my mud boots and uh, did a did a little weeding that was necessary but uh
2: yeah, yeah. That is the one benefit having no rain is I have no weeds either. From my last weeding several weeks ago, no weeds are growing. <laughs> but one thing I do have, David, is 10 million flowers on my cucumbers. So I do anticipate having great cucumbers this year. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a good garden week, and uh, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back home. Uh, we have uh, one more wedding event coming up this week. Last week was the wedding in Utah uh, with a reception for family and friends out there of my son. Uh, and then this Thursday, we're having a reception here at my office. David, you're welcome to come. Love to well, have you. It's uh, 6 o'clock on Thursday night. Uh, come on by for some great Mexican food and some uh, cotton candy. That's apparently the theme is some carnival theme for the wedding. It's going to be a lot of fun.
1: My goodness, I never heard of having a reception like that, uh, and, and uh, that's interesting.
2: And You know why we're having it in our office, don't you? It's actually pretty simple, much like rain. It's free. <laughs>
1: It's free.
2: <laughs> it's well, free.
1: And it's large. It's a, it's and a it's
2: large, and there's parking. You know, we have a house that could accommodate for folks, but there's very little parking, and uh, every place else costs money. or it's kind of bland. I said, you know, we'll just have it in, in my reception area in my conference room. There's plenty of room there, and we'll have some fun, and there's lots of parking, and it'll be a good day.
1: Very interesting. Well, what but the you other?
2: know? So it, because of the wedding, I missed, for the very first time, getting to our immigration point, uh, the annual conference of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. This is the first annual conference I have missed, David, in 23 years. Wow. Uh, I've been going every year since 1992, and a couple of years before that, on and off. Uh, but I, uh, I was just, uh, you know, heartbroken that I couldn't go this year. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I was able to send uh, a bunch of my folks. Um, I think we had eight people go from my office, and they they thoroughly enjoyed it. But there were, in fact, some controversial moments uh, that I want to talk about. Uh, David, you probably don't know who the domestic policy advisor is for President, your President Obama, do you?
1: No, Charles. Somehow, I've missed that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I didn't think you had uh, the names of all the folks working for Obama there. but uh, her name is Cecilia Munoz, and she was the keynote speaker on the opening uh, session of the conference on Thursday morning. Well, Ms. Munoz comes from an interesting background. Uh, she used to uh, work for an organization called MALDEF, Mexican-American Legal Defense Fund. Well, you probably heard of MALDEF. Sure. And she was very much the immigration activist back in the day. She worked for Catholic Charities. Very outspoken, um, very uh, let's say liberal on immigration <laughs> issues. Let's just say, let's just let's just come out and say the word, David. Let's not be embarrassed by it.
1: Yeah, well, it just uh, shook my mic, but that's okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so she was the keynote speaker. Now, if you you would think that having uh, a keynote speaker at an immigration lawyers conference, somebody from the White House with a background and liberal immigration viewpoint. You would think there would be thunderous, welcoming applause. You, you would imagine that, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's, you've got to believe that's going to happen. But quite the contrary happened at this conference. Uh, our guest last week, Brian Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, 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 was uh, posted a little bit about this. a good friend of mine, Matt Colkin, who is a wizard on the, uh, on the social media on immigration. she's a great immigration lawyer out of Boston. Uh, Marty Rosenbluth, a terrific uh, lawyer uh, out of uh, North Carolina, um, and, uh, uh, and several others, um, held a protest during her talk at the annual conference of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. And the protest was focused on something we talked about last week with Brian Johnson, that is the detention of women, the long-term detention of women and children by the Obama administration. And... Uh, and uh they they really held up sign held up signs saying, Shame on you. Uh they shouted her down uh to remind her that she is the architect and the the mouthpiece of the Obama administration on detaining women and children. And uh, you know, her her response to that was flabbergastering, if that's a if that's a word. Um, where she blamed the immigration lawyers for not coming up with better solutions, as you blame the GOP for not passing immigration reform, and that's why they're detaining women and children. <laughs> what a bunch of horse hockey.
1: Have, have you ever, I mean, uh, you're not near as old as, as, uh, as I am, but have you ever in your adult life seen an administration that blames everybody else? For everything,
2: and it's made... a remarkable abdication of responsibility. Is uh, it... Rather than owning it and saying, "You know what, we did that. We didn't. We don't like that we had to do it, but we felt like we had to do it." Instead of owning it, they just blame other people for why they did it. You know, and it's quite clear why they did it. The idea, and Obama even said this: "We're going to attain these people, these women and children, to send the message to other women and children." that we will be detaining you if you come to the United States, and we're not going to let you out. That's that's the message that they sent, and that's the message they wanted to send. But rather than defend that, she deflected and blamed other people uh, for clearly what the Obama administration uh, has chosen to do here. It's, it's really remarkable, really remarkable. Um, and it was interesting because uh, this group uh, of, of lawyers and, and Um, count among those, David, are some very conservative people, people that aren't considered to be liberal icons, shouting down uh, the spokesperson and the architect of the White House immigration policy um, because she has mistreated women and children. Our friend Brian Johnson was on with us last week, uh, talked about um, uh, bringing Obama up on uh, torture charges for keeping these children and women in custody. Um, And she is... This is the part that I really felt bad about missing, because I really feel that these these advocates, and I'm not going to call them liberal advocates, because they're not liberal advocates. They're just advocates for women and children who understand that we don't treat the most vulnerable people in our society or the most vulnerable immigrants in the worst possible way. Uh, And yet there was Cecilia Munoz up there not taking responsibility and uh, not owning what they have clearly created. George W. Bush did not detain women and children in detention camp. He did detain some families, I will tell you that. But when called on it, they basically closed them down. Uh, And so the Obama administration has created a very, very dangerous precedent here uh, for something that really harkens back to World War II and the detention of Japanese Americans. Mm -hmm. We're really going to keep... Women and children in detention centers. It's really detention camps and prisons. You know, it's Trump, remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable.
1: Along with my my point about uh, them, uh, about this administration not taking any responsibility. The other thing that is very unique about this administration is that they almost, it would seem, if you look back on speeches that Obama and his gophers have given over the years. They go into a setting like the setting of, of the immigration attorneys. That that should have been, boy, this is a great opportunity oh, yeah. to do something and do it right. And instead, they go in. They want to. They want to cause a fight. They want to, you know. And they got what they wanted—a fight. And I, I, I of those how many people, times
2: those could be their natural allies? It's really remarkable. Yeah. I mean, who is more advocating for immigration reform than immigration lawyers? Nobody. There's nobody more advocating than immigration lawyers for this. Uh, and, the, and the American Immigration Lawyers Association, of which I was national president uh, six years ago, clearly is the voice on Capitol Hill for common sense immigration reform and policies that work within the law that we currently have and simple changes that can be made. And yet you go in there and you alienate a group of people. Uh, it, it really is stunning. There was a movement to try to disinvite Celia Munoz from speaking. Uh, and uh, the head of the American Immigration Law Association, Crystal Williams, who stepped down, uh, Stated publicly, they would not disinvite her because it would be rude. Uh, and they wanted to hear the administration's point of view. Well, guess what? They didn't hear the administration's point of view. They heard the administration blaming us for things they created allowed to happen. It's. The executive committee of the American Immigration Lawyers Association should be ashamed of themselves for allowing this woman to come speak um, and, and really insult the association uh, and blame us for uh, what is clearly bad public policy coming out of the White House. Their inability to manage a border crisis and, man- and, man- and manage a, a very small immigration problem speaks volumes about the ineptitude of the administration.
1: Well, I, I think, you know, and you know how I feel, but I think this is this is showing up across the board. Uh, we've talked about it uh, on our medical shows. We've talked about it. You and I have talked about it. You've talked about it on, on your show. Uh, I think it's, in. they're just totally inept. They should have never been able to take the White House, in my you know, opinion.
2: Well, you know what? There's an old saying, I heard this from a friend of mine, the Democrats could screw up a one-man parade. Uh, but it was really the Republicans who screwed it up this last time. And, and David, and we're gonna talk when we come back from the break here in a few minutes and when we take one, we're gonna talk about the ineptitude of the Republicans and will it continue to allow President Clinton to get elected? <laughs> so yeah, 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 you always have to bring that Obama up. Obama is inept but the GOP has been more inept <laughs> to allow him to get elected.
1: Well, I think we're going to do what you suggested, and that's take a break. Uh, have you made it to the
3: door yet?
2: We're almost there. We're okay. almost there. Be there in about two minutes. We'll be back on the Immigration Hour on
3: America's Best Radio in just a minute. Si ha con un o problemas con o una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Somos su lado. con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de Conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy las, las o al www.immigration.net.
0: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
4: Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net.
0: This is Georgia author Doug Dahlgren. Join me Fridays at 11 a.m. for a new
2: show here on America's Web Radio. We call it the prologue. I'll be introducing you to other
0: writers you may
2: not have heard of yet.
0: That's Fridays at 11 a.m. here on America's Web Radio.
1: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we're back on America's Web Radio with the Immigration Hour, and uh, this is a half-remote show with Charles Cook being the half.
2: Well, (laughs) thank you, David. (laughs) It won't be half for very long as I come upstairs, but uh, uh, again, going back to the first segment where I missed the annual conference, the good news is, a good friend of mine, Sharon Melman, she was the chair of the conference this year. And I understand from the folks in my office that went that they absolutely loved it. They thought it was well done. They thought the speakers were well chosen. The topics were very interesting and informative. And so I want to congratulate Sharon for putting on probably one of the best annual conferences ever. I mean, but for the terrible location in Washington, D.C., uh, it was uh, well done and well organized.
1: Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, I... I don't think. Well, it's like everything else. Uh, you and I have talked about this many, many times, and that's education. And I, I don't think that the. <laughs> whoops! I don't know what that is. Uh, you're playing with your phone.
2: Yeah. Sorry. My face is fat. Um, definitely. <laughs> Apple's got a poorly designed uh, interface.
1: Oh, there he is. Okay. Well, we'll turn off the. Uh, we'll turn off that and turn on the mic and. Uh, we, we've got Mr. Cook in-house now.
4: You were talking about education. You know, the education is powerful.
1: Well, yeah, you know, Charles, what I, what I started to say about education is uh, the fact that, you know, not only do folks not appreciate the, what's going on in immigration, they don't appreciate uh, and they don't know about immigration attorneys and what you all do.
4: They don't. They don't. And, you know, the education for immigration lawyers is to go and learn. I sent a couple of my new lawyers up uh, to learn new things, uh, to discover new information, to uh, see what they, they could learn. And they all came back, and we have a little – every year when we have uh, the folks return for annual conference, we do a little uh, – basically our own little internal CLE. We have 30 people that work for us. And uh, what, what are the five things you learn? What, what, do, what are five things – <laughs> that you didn't know before, that you know now, that you think everybody should know, and uh, it's remarkable with eight people going. That's forty different things they all picked up uh, that we now get to share among our staff. Now it's always interesting when they do this. Is I go, you know, why didn't I tell them that? Why didn't I tell them that? Why you know, after, tw- after you do this for twenty six years, basically know all. You know, you know ninety nine percent of the tricks. Every now and then I'll pick something else up, but I'm thinking, how do I share that information with my staff so they get to know that? So I'm not the only guy with the information. Well, one of the ways. It's through having a really robust and interesting annual conference, and so we're very excited that they were able to do that.
1: i, I got to ask. We have talked, and you have told me many, many times how far behind the immigration court system is and that they have, you know, two million cases waiting for each <laughs> judge or whatever. So did the courts shut down while you all had your meeting? No,
4: the courts did not shut down uh, while we had our meetings, although I I imagine a lot of continuances were granted around the country because 3,000 lawyers went to the conference. But there's 14,000 members of the association, so that meant 11,000 were still back home working uh, in the program, uh, in their their jobs and in the courts. But they did swear in 18 new immigration judges during our annual conference in Washington, D.C., now, what does that mean to me? Uh, that means there's 18 more judges to add to the 220 judges out there, so they can reduce their backlog by, you know, another 30,000 cases out of the, you know, the backlog of half a million cases that are sitting out there waiting to get done. So it's 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 a start. They could use 200 more judges. Here's their problem, David. Where do you get 200 judges?
1: No, I I think you should preference that. Qualified.
4: Quali- where do you get 200, even better said, where do you get 200 qualified immigration judges? Do You, re- and, you know, they hire people with no immigration experience to do this, which I think is insane. I, I think you should have five to ten a- years of immigration experience before you can become a judge. I think that's beyond insane. Yeah, to hire people with zero experience in the field. I mean, I think you should have either worked for the government or worked in the private sector for at least five to ten years before you can be considered for the position. You
1: know what? And, in fact, I would like to take it a step further besides that qualification. It would seem to me like a like, – and I don't know what I'm talking about normally, but it would seem to me that you would need to hire judges that are familiar with areas. Like, South America has got to be different from an immigrant coming from Asia. Yeah, I mean, an and our immigration laws are Europe.
4: worldwide, so they apply to everybody from everywhere. But, you know, when you hear a lot of asylum cases um, – I mean, clearly it would be nice to go before a judge with a little bit of knowledge about the area. Asylum officers, the people that actually listen to affirmative asylum cases, do have expertise in certain areas and are well trained in that, but the immigration judges, absent what they do on their own, unless they themselves take it upon themselves to educate themselves, there's no guarantee they will know anything about the process, which is disturbing in some ways because some of them, and many of them have been reversed over the years, make decisions based on what they think they know rather than what's in the evidence of the record. Uh, but yeah, the immigration judge backlog will presumably get a little, little less um, uh, here, uh, maybe uh, <laughs> if these judges actually get their uh, get their place in place in, in, uh, in Florida. None of them are coming to Atlanta yet that we know of. We are losing at least one judge from here who is moving to Miami, but we don't know who is taking her place yet. Hopefully, it's somebody local, somebody with immigration law experience and somebody more than willing to uh, step up and uh, really make, uh, make a difference. So, David, that, that was the goings-on and, uh, at, at our annual conference. Again, shout-out to Sharon Melman for a remarkable conference, uh, for doing great work uh, among her peers. Uh, and I heard nothing but praise from her. And I, Sharon, I do apologize that I couldn't come this year to your conference. Uh, you came to mine. David, I, besides being the an, uh, former national president of ALI, I also chaired the annual conference. Uh, but I was very fortunate. I was able to chair the annual conference in San Francisco. It's a, a great annual. And still to this day, I think either the first or second largest annual conference the association ever, ever had because who doesn't want to go to San Francisco <laughs> for three or four days uh, in the middle of the summer? It's, uh, it's a really a, a great experience uh, to do that. Uh, so, David, other things happening in the immigration world, uh, you know, the world didn't stop just because AILA decided to have their annual conference. Uh, and, in fact, there's, there's lots of interesting stuff going on out there this week. Uh, I do want to say I'm, I am preparing on a, on a quasi-immigration-related issue. The Georgia Supreme Court has taken cert on my, on my in-state tuition lawsuit uh, on the issue of whether the Court of Appeals erred in uh, denying uh, jurisdiction in the case based upon sovereign immunity. Uh, so I'm excited to be able to, uh, to do some oral argument in front of the Georgia Supreme Court, which I've never done before. Um, and I've argued in the Court of Appeals. I haven't argued in the – I'm admitted to the Supreme Court of the United States, but I haven't argued there. Um, and I'm looking forward to arguing to, in front of the Georgia Supreme Court uh, in October on whether or not the courts can hear a declaratory judgment action. You know, this – as I've been thinking about this, I've been writing my brief, David, I'm thinking about w- under what theory can a court say, I can't hear your case when all you're asking the court to do is say what a law means, you know, in our case, I'm not asking the court to order the state to do it. I'm not asking them to order the Board of Regents to carry out a function. I'm not ordering them, asking them to order the Board of Regents to admit students. I'm asking them, what do the words lawful presence mean in the context of the Board of Regents policy on in-state tuition? Does, do the words lawful presence carry with it? a meaning of lawful presence as defined by the federal government, who is the only agency that defines lawful presence as it relates to immigration. And do they have jurisdiction to do so? Um, Within the legal context, if I'm in federal court, let's say I'm at the Court of Appeals, and an issue comes up, and and it's a state law issue, and there's no case law on what a phrase means under state law, Uh, the Court of Appeals has the right, under the Federal-State Compact, and the Constitution to ask that state Supreme Court, so they say that the Federal District Circuit Court here in Atlanta, 11th Circuit, goes to the has an issue they need to resolve. And so they, they write a memo to the uh, Georgia Supreme Court and says, you know, you have this state law. You have not determined what this state law means. We would like you, for our purposes, to determine what the state law means so that we can act on it. That's the same thing I'm asking for. It's in, in the nature of a declaratory judgment action, what does this law mean? Now, I assume the Supreme Court will ask me, well, okay, let's say we, we can rule on this. How is that relevant? How does that help you? I said, well, that's actually pretty simple. Because I, I don't think the Board of Regents needs to be ordered to do something. I think the Board of Regents is looking for political cover. They're looking for people to say, look, the way you use lawful presence is wrong. And here we have now a Georgia Supreme Court case that says the way you use lawful presence is wrong. Uh, please change your policy. So that when you use the word lawful present," that includes DACA recipients who, therefore, should get in situation so long as they meet every other criteria. There's lots of other criteria. Um, and that's all I'm looking for. Clarify what this means in the context of the law. Because when you say that the, the executive branch of government, Obama, for example, is immune from lawsuit on what they mean when they say certain things, um, then you have no... Then the, the Constitution void at that point. What you're saying is um, the, the executive branch can do what they want without judicial oversight. Now, there's clearly a jurisdiction here to say this is what that law means. Now, I, I think at the end of the day, I think the Supreme Court's going to rule in our favor. I think they're going to find, despite where they found previously, the declaratory judgment plus injunctive relief is voided by sovereign immunity, is barred by sovereign immunity that just seeking declaratory or judgment relief release is not voided by sovereign immunity because all we're asking the court to do is rule on the meaning of a regulation, in this case regulation or statute, in the context of uh, a state agency's work on the case. So we're not suing the state agency for benefits. We are simply naming the state agency as a defendant in this case to defend itself in the context of how they're interpreting something. So, I mean, I think we're going to win. I do. Uh, my brief is due next Wednesday, so I've got a, a week's worth of work to, to get done in, uh, in that time frame. The good news is mostly done um, from previous work on the case and some new stuff. But I think we're gonna I think I feel good about this. and again, we'll have a, we'll have a whole show dedicated to this in, uh, in October as we get ready for oral argument.
1: If you were to lose, can you appeal to a federal court? No,
4: no, this, If we lose, we can't appeal this issue to a federal court. But I can go to federal court on a related, on the same issue <laughs> as it relates to how the interpretation by the Board of Regents violates the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution of the United States. It's just a harder lawsuit, and I don't necessarily want to do it if I can do it this way, the way I'm doing it. Because I think this is, it's, it's easier for the state to do it this way. But if we have to go to federal court, we will go to federal court. Uh, that lawsuit is actually drafted, David. It's done. Um, I've got to make a couple more adjustments to it, um, but it's ready to go. Should the, should the Georgia Supreme Court say you don't have any jurisdiction here, we will file the next week in federal court.
1: Okay, I, and, and this is just a dumb law question, but in, in this filing and, and in going to the state Supreme Court, um, there's there's – if you win, you only win in words. You don't win in, in moneta- monetary... Right. I don't want any
4: money, no, I'm not any money at all. I just want a court to say the Board of Regents is misinterpreting their own policy. That's it. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Uh, and really, it's really dumb. Even the state of Arizona's Board of Regents, the state of Arizona Board of Regents, has allowed DACA kids to get in-state tuition. Uh, it's, it wasn't ordered by a court. It, well, it was kind of ordered by a court, but not completely. They took the step. And I think the same thing will happen here. But I think it's very short-sighted for Georgia to say, yes, you, the federal government says you can live and work here. You came here through no fault of your own. You have graduated from high school. You want to go to college. You've been admitted to college in Georgia. We're just going to make you pay more money for... What, Being pun- a citizen of Georgia. To punish you. We, to punish you. That's it. There's no other reason. Let's take a break here on the Immigration on America's Web Radio. We'll be right back.
3: Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración. Conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley. Y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos las 404 A las 404 O visítanos en el internet. www.immigration.net.
1: Whether well, cruising the strip at a fifty-seven
4: Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e verifying in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866 286 6200 That's 866 286 6200 Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net.
1: This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
4: Well, me either. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, it's good to be it's good to be here today. Well, thank you. good to be here today. I, I, I always love coming back to Georgia although it's much more coming fun coming back from Georgia when I'm traveling east to west than west to east <laughs> when after you've been out of the, when after you've been out of the state for a, a little while you get um, uh, you develop the, the time zone of where you're at you come back and man 6:30 here is 4:30 in the morning out west and it comes in early. <laughs> uh, David just to remind our listeners that are listening live today, uh, I'm actually doing a web chat today on Twitter, on uh, Law 360, on the recent Supreme Court decisions that have come down. Um, uh, the Supreme Court issued um, a few decisions this term on immigration. You hmm. know, so you, you think you don't really think of the Supreme Court in the context of uh, of immigration cases, but in fact, the Supreme Court issued a couple of very important cases this week uh, that we're going to be talking about in a live Twitter chat uh, as. Uh, um, uh, as we talk about what what these mean and what they are uh, as going forward. Now, David, last Tuesday on our we didn't talk about this on the show, but uh, right after uh, uh, Jeb Bush made his announcement, he was doing some speaking, of course, and he had some hecklers at one of his events. Yeah. Um, and on immigration, and what what he did in response was remarkable. Uh, he said, "We are going to, my first year in office, we are going to pass immigration reform." and we're not going to do executive action because we're not going to need to do it because we're going to make this happen. Now, David, the the party, the, the, the problem with these folks, of course, is the following. Uh, the problem is Jeb talks that game, but he doesn't control Congress. Uh, he doesn't control, and, and there are a lot of people in Congress who get and understand that Immigration reform needs to pass for the GOP to win. uh, I mentioned this briefly as I was driving in. You talk about the ineptness of the Obama administration. How did they win the election? Well, they won the election partly because, one, they were, in fact, better organized on election, election day. And two, and maybe even more importantly, they understood the power of numbers and the electoral college. They knew who they could get out to vote. And they went after those voters. Something to date, none of the GOP candidates is doing. In fact, I was reading an interesting article this morning that Paul uh, uh, Rand Paul focuses kind of on these you know libertarian liberal guys and and you know stuff. He's losing voters to who? Bernie Sanders. Uh, so they're not understood liberal. Anytime. Well, clearly he has he's unabashedly liberal. He doesn't care what you think. He's a socialist. He says he's a socialist, and he's not going to win the election. And he's not, you know, he's not going to win the primary, and he's not going to win anything. But he's siphoning voters away from the GOP because he's more libertarian than Rand Paul on a lot of these national security issues. Uh, but so many GOPers have come out just this last week. Alfonso Aguilar, who was the head of USCIS under George Bush for a period of time, um, he uh, he wrote an op-ed uh, or an article this week in, uh, in in the newspaper Politico. You know about Politico, right? I'm sure you read Politico. Uh, I'm a conservative and I support immigration. Two statements you don't hear together really often enough, unless you listen to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio, David. But you know he's probably not doing that. Um, and uh, he's uh, children immigrants, his moms from Italy, dads from Costa Rica. So, you know, he grew up here. Uh, one of the few non Cubans to hold the office of director. Thing he he has five things that we should do. Now, David, we you and I have had shows on the five things that I that I would talk about and do. And let's see how closely Mr. Aguilar was listening to our show. <laughs> uh, first, secure the border. Blah, blah blah. Did I my ears just turn off? Blah 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 blah. All right, what do you mean by that? Here's what he says. We call for extending double fencing to all areas along the border where illegal crossings can potentially occur to attain effective and realistic operational control. Double layered fencing, a two fence barrier with a road patrolling between, would drastically reduce the number of illegal entries. David, where else do you see double walled fencing with a road in between them? Where, where, do you recall where else you see that? Prisons, David. <laughs> Prisons have this. So basically, they want to build a prison fence around the United I don't even States. Know.
1: Do they really have a road in between them? There's a space. Prisons do. Prisons does? do.
4: Many prisons do. So they can patrol them. Uh, how is double layer. So now, not only do you want one fence, you want two fences. So rather than a billion dollars, it might all be two billion dollars or whatever crazy number they came up with. Um, double layer fencing instead provides a tangible marker that would clearly show us we are doing something concrete to secure So literally. Just border security metrics set by Congress are useless. That I agree with. So, But double-walled fencing? Do you have the double-walled ladder company that, 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 that takes care of the, the fencing for you? Fencing is stupid. Create disincentives for coming. Maybe fencing works in parts of it, Clearly not the solution. But we have already talked many shows about our solution, but we probably should set a show up in the future for my five-point plan. Second, Congress should mandate all businesses use E-Verify. Um, agreed. That's a, a some sort of national ID card is necessary. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a, second. a national ID card, David? C- can we have a national ID card? That's not going to pass, than, is it?
1: Other than your passport,
4: <laughs> is isn't isn't? But Social Security card is a national ID card. A driver's license is your national ID card. An I nine is a national ID card. So we're just going to make it a government policy now. Make it make it a program, mandatory government imperative. If you do government contracting work, you're already in mandatory E-Verify. This is really just private employers they're talking about here. So they want to have mandatory E-Verify because I-9s don't work. I agree. Now, if you have mandatory E-Verify, David, which is essentially a mandatory online I-9, I think many employers would say, fine. I don't like doing the I-9s anyway. They're a pain in the butt. I'll do I'll do an online one, and the government can do it with the data, whatever it wants. We essentially already have it. It's just that it's up to the administration, whoever's running the administration, to take that data and run background checks on all the I-9 people. This just does it at the time of hire. Fine, make it happen. But don't make that first. Because you make that first, and you make it retroactive, you're going to create a recession. Three, uh, fully implement. This is, this, is a, this, is, this is what a lot of guys like having, but you're going to love this. A biometric exit tracking system of foreign nationals to ensure they depart the country by the time their visa expires. <laughs> why did you laugh, David? What? Tell me why you laughed about that.
1: So we're going to give them a nanny while they're here and follow them in every step that they do. And
4: keep in mind, how many people come to America every year just on visitor visas? I have no idea. Forty other. million or more. Forty million, like over a ten percent population increase. Forty million come on visitor visas. The vast majority leave. But we know that at least 40 to 45% of the current undocumented population came legally to the U.S. So, your time comes to leave, and you don't leave. Okay. What do you do? We already have this system. It's just not biometric. When you come in the country, Dave, and you're a foreign, even as a permanent resident, we take your fingerprints, we take your picture. That's biometrics. It's not DNA at this point. They put in the system, you have to leave by this date. So when you don't leave, and when you leave the country, you hand, you the way it works is CBP checks passenger manifests. You don't go through immigration when you leave the United States. Other countries you go through immigration. And you used to, here you used to turn in the little white card you used to get. You don't get a white card anymore. So if your name is on a passenger manifest, that manifest is then put into the Customs and Border Protection database. And they can match up today. They know who leaves. They, this already exists.
1: They assume.
4: Well, they assume. Now, there's an error rate because I've had clients who've had to change their flight at the last minute, but that that doesn't get updated properly in the system, so they're shown as leaving the country when they didn't leave. So we know, we know that happens. But this system already exists. How much do you think it would cost to implement an exit control system biometric they're talking about? You're talking about... Let's see. How many airports in the U.S. have international flights leaving? Hundred. I have no idea. I mean, what do you think? Hundred. Let's let's say hundred. Okay. Two for each state, probably more or less. That means you got to have what an average of let's say twenty people at each one of those. So now you've got two thousand employees. You got to have equipment. Now, many of them already have equipment for departures for entries. I guess you could reuse that equipment. So maybe you wouldn't need new equipment. But you would have to physically modify airports. Because you know right now you can get on a flight going to Italy from the A gate or the B gate or the E gate or the F gate from Atlanta without going through any biometrics. So you'd actually have to force all airlines leaving the country to go through a security checkpoint set of gates. That people could not leave once they pass through uh, the biometrics. That's going to cost billions of dollars at a hundred different airports, right? So you're talking about spending billions of dollars to upgrade this database so that it works. When in fact they're doing it now pretty well, and it's not costing them any extra money. But here's the thing: okay, so now you set this up. You know who stays. What are you going to do about that? So now you know who stayed. What are you going to do? You're going to go look for them?
1: I think we ought to put ankle bracelets on everybody that comes into the state. No,
4: no, th- we don't need ankle bracelets. How about a chip? Yeah. We'll just inject it into their neck and they're coming in. What do you think? Just a little. <laughs> I mean, it works on TV, right? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't it works the president with your dog. have a tracking chip? works on your dogs. We, we just need to treat all visitors to America like dogs and we'll be in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> this and is, able to trace them. Okay, that's his third point, which is, again, ill-thought-out, ill-conceived. So after you do all this stuff, so here's the thing, pass this now, GOP, pass this now, uh, but postpone implementation of all the measures until Obama leaves office. I mean, how petty is that? right? Fourth step. After the first three steps are done, after they're done so after you destroy the American economy and chase all visitors away after you do that implement a guest worker program that allows American uh, employers who can't find American workers to recruit and bring in foreign workers temporarily okay, Uh, without any path apparently to a green card and then a temporary worker program uh, um, for, for circular immigration to come in legally work and go home well who wants to come here develop great ideas, and then be sent home to work in some hellhole of a country where you're not going to get the benefits anymore. Mr. Aguilar, you're living in a dream world. Good, Thank God your parents didn't face the system you created to create for others. The fifth and final step is write a path to legal status. So after the first year is executed, Obama has left office, because we hate him. <laughs> we hate him so much. The government provide legal status to undocumented immigrants who wish to remain and live in the United States with no special path to citizenship. You know, really, Aguilar. Frankly, you weren't a very good director of the USCIS, and your ideas are so twentieth century. David, we're going to have our show. One of these shows coming up on my five-point plan, how we're going to carry it out, and how it's going to work. I think we could do that in the show, don't you? Certainly. I think, I think we could do that show. We probably should have a guest come on and um, and tell us about uh, how uh, how that might work. Uh, now, David, I want to talk for a minute about future President Clinton, not past President Clinton. No, we got like a minute left here. Um, she has done an exceptionally good job of pandering to the Latino vote on the immigration front uh, by saying that she would expand what President Obama has done uh, to include every immigrant in the United States that's illegal, not just people who have kids born in the United States. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most pandering, and one being the least pandering, where would you put Hillary Clinton's comments?
1: I don't think as high as, as you would expect, probably in the, on a 1 to 10, maybe 6. Maybe so only
4: a 6 for you. You think she could pander more? Yeah. All right, so we should expect more pandering in the future. Oh, absolutely. Oh, awesome. Well, I just wanted to make sure where you were on the, the Hillary pandering scale. Oh, she'll be. Because, dude, you're going to have eight years of Hillary Clinton unless the GOP gets their act together and passes immigration reform and makes it look like they don't hate Latinos. I'm just saying. Um, we had this moment over in South Carolina this last week, David, with these shootings. And, the, and now, all of a sudden, the Confederate flag is yeah. finally coming down. I mean, it, for, for African Americans, it is a symbol of hatred. This idea that it's a symbol of oh, Southern pride is BS. I mean, it is a symbol of hatred to people. Why keep it up? Put it in the museum. You like it so much, stick a tattoo on your butt. But don't make everybody bow down and worship it, particularly like in South Carolina. Let's take our break here for our final segment on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio.
3: Soy Charles Cook, abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Chámenos hoy si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano, O tiene una oferta de trabajo. Nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración. Llámenos hoy al 404-816-8611. 404-816-8611 816 o visítenos por el internet al www.immigration.net.
0: Did you mess a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
4: Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verifying your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net.
1: This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
4: Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is your host, Chuck Cook, on the Immigration Hour, possibly the most listened-to immigration podcast in the known universe, David. Our number's looking good this month, David. How's America's Web Radio doing? America's Web Radio is doing
1: great.
4: We had a little, um,
2: quite frankly, we had a little glitch, a little
1: blip. As You know, anytime somebody tells you it's going to be seamless, (laughs) <laughs> There's nothing seamless. Uh, that's when you better grab something, you yeah. know? And uh we bend over,
4: put your head between your legs and kiss your butt goodbye. Yes, <laughs> something like
1: that. Uh we uh we outgrew our server and hostgator, who is our server, uh informed me that they were gonna t- switch us to a bigger server to handle us better and that it would be seamless.
4: You wouldn't know. It'd be invisible to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't. It was invisible to me, but then again, it was invisible to everybody, everybody else. Americans, everybody disappeared I mean, from, the, from the from the face yeah. of the earth. Well, the earth. it was interesting. We were still there. It was just our show pages disappeared, and uh, I spent all I was up all Thursday night working with my IT guy to get everything back up by uh, by Friday. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was. Uh, not a fun evening (laughs) Thursday night.
4: Well, you're back on the air now, and you have a bigger server, so all
1: is well again. Yeah, all is well, and I think, though, it taught me something about HostGator, and uh, I believe I will be making a move at some point down the road, but a a better prepared move than, you know, I, I won't leave things in somebody else's hands, I'll put it like that. But other than that, we're doing great. Yes. Well, I, I want to
4: just talk briefly about a couple of these Supreme Court cases, David. That came down. The first is the case in which the immigrant lost, which was called Kerry versus Din. Uh, in the in the Kerry versus Din case, Kerry, of course, is Secretary John Kerry, of the Department of State. And it was a, it was a lawsuit by a U.S. citizen, Miss Din, against John Kerry, uh, and, and it's very interesting because there's been no case like this before. The theory is the following: I am a U.S. citizen. Uh, Falsia Din is her name. She sponsored her husband for uh, a visa to come to the United States. Uh, his name is or uh, uh, Barashk. Sorry, Bar- Barash. Mr. Barashk was denied a visa uh, with no explanation. You, you, they simply said it, it, it's a clause that's called the 221G. Uh, you haven't met the requirements for getting a visa. That's it. No explanation whatsoever and she argued that her constitutional fundamental right of marriage uh equality was marriage was being interrupted when she did not receive an adequate explanation um from uh the the consulate as to why they denied the visa so the didn't it's called the didn case um not an especially closely watched case it involves a former civil servant in the Taliban regime who's married to a United States citizen uh, yet he was denied a visa to immigrate to the United States. So she had to flee Afghanistan and is a refugee in the United States who then became a permanent resident, who then became a U.S. So she can't go back to Afghanistan. She can't. She'll be killed if she goes back to Afghanistan. So her, th- her argument was, you are depriving me of my fundamental right of marriage by denying my husband a visa or at least an explanation of the, of the denial uh, because I can't go there to live with him. Well, the, the case was a split decision. It was, it was a um, 6-3 case. Um, the, uh, uh, Justice Breyer, uh, joined by a couple other Democratic nominees, wrote in the minority that the federal government owed the guy a more complete explanation of why he was denied a visa. Uh, Justice Kennedy, uh, who was joined by Samuel Alito, wrote what lower courts would review. Because the way the Supreme Court works, it's not the opinion with the most judges that controls. It's the one with the least focus on constitutional issues. So um, Kennedy concluded um, that, that the federal government's citation to a law prohibiting the issuance of visas to persons who engage in terrorist activities was all the explanation that uh, Barash and his wife were entitled to. And that's it. That's it. It's all you have to do. Justice Scalia, uh, who was joined by Roberts and Thomas, transformed what was seemingly a minor case uh, into a sweeping refutation of the idea that marriage rights can be expanded beyond the historic bounds. So basically saying, "This, this case really is about marriage rights, and Scalia ended up citing a plethora of early 20th century decision cases Many of which discriminated against women um, uh, on his basis that uh, uh, that there is no liberty interest in marriage. Now, nobody thinks that's controlling, but it gives you an idea about where Scalia's likely minority decision is, opinion is in the marriage equality case that should be coming down either Thursday, Friday, or Monday this of this next week, along with your favorite Obamacare case, which will be coming down. Um, but it was uh, a very interesting case for Din. Uh, immigration lawyers were watching this on the idea that uh, um, uh, that the 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 court that the this Department of State one is liable to be sued in courts, um, and uh, two that uh, uh, the uh, there is jurisdiction to bring a lawsuit, but three that. All the department has to do is, is cite the, the reg or the statute under which they're denying you, and that is a, a facially legitimate and bona fide standard. So Kennedy uh, concluded um, that the uh, Supreme Court um, found that the government had provided a facially legitimate and bona fide reason. What I took away from this case actually was something that a lot of immigration lawyers didn't take away from the case. Um that you can't sue as consular officer. So Kennedy said this, Assuming Din's rights were burdened directly by the visa denial, the consular officer citation to the particular statute was facially legitimate. Given Congress's plenary power to supply the conditions of the privilege to enter the United States, the government's decision to exclude Bershak because he did not satisfy such a condition is legitimate. What I took away from this decision is you can sue the Department of State over visa issuances. And in this case, the standard was met by the Department of State. But that's not necessarily the case in all the situations. And so when there's not a bona fide factual basis uh, for the denial, absent affirmative showing of bad faith on a consular's part, the, the, the denial is fine. So therefore, if you can show bona fide, if you can show bad faith on the part of a consular officer, you can still bring lawsuits against the Department of State. I think that's the big news Coming out of carry versus because there was a there was a theory several years ago, and it went on for decades. Well, you can't sue the Department of State over a visa denial. Well, turns out, I think you can sue the Department of State over a visa denial.
1: We've all heard recently the word standing. How did this lady have standing? Because she was an American citizen. Because
4: she was an American citizen. who was, her theory was I have standing because I'm an American citizen burdened by the. Uh, the actions of a consular officer, you have directly impacted me. It's a unique theory. It's a unique theory, um, and so they they found there was standing basically uh, here for her to bring this lawsuit. Uh, well, Scalia did. Scalia argued there was no standing for her to bring the lawsuit, but he concurred in the outcome, the narrow outcome, which was there was standing, uh, but sh- the, the the response was sufficient by the by the consular officer to say deny.
1: Uh, this. Case gone through all of the lower Yeah, the, the
4: Ninth Circuit. I think this was taken. I think this came out of the Ninth Circuit, although I'm not positive. Uh, the Circuit Court had found that, in fact, the Supreme the, that that in fact the consular officer had not given adequate uh, uh, response to the person. So they actually overturned the uh, Supreme Court's decision. Okay, um, hmm. so uh, Supreme Court overturned the Court of Appeals decision. So it was actually a kind of a kind of a big deal. Uh, Kerry versus Din. Um, one for what Scalia's wording was in the context of the, um, of the case. Uh, but two, uh, really uh, the idea that you can, in fact sue consular officers uh, and, uh, and, and hold them accountable for, uh, for doing this. So I, I, think, uh, I think it's a good thing. Now the Supreme Court also, in another case, uh, besides Kerry versus Den, uh, uh, ruled in another matter. Uh, that the and really an eight one decision uh, that uh, federal courts of appeals have authority to decide whether people facing deportation proceedings should be able to extend deadlines in immigration court cases. Why this is relevant is important. Uh, uh, this is a case involving Noel Mata. Noel Mata found uh, basically he had a bad lawyer, and the court and, and the board of immigration appeals say that you only have 90 days in which to file a motion to reopen and in a brief supporting the case. And his lawyer didn't do that. The Court of Appeals had found that they had no authority to hear whether the Board of Immigration Appeals properly refused to take the, the the case late. The Court of Appeals said no, they did have such authority. Again, it's an expansion of the authority of the federal courts into the immigration arena where uh, it possibly didn't exist before. So the Mata case, again, a good case on immigration reform, and a good one that uh, really I think uh, brings home the idea that there is federal court jurisdiction for a lot of cases uh, that uh, that maybe in the past we didn't think there was jurisdiction for. So I would I would invite all of our listeners, David, to. Um, to tune in uh, to Twitter today, uh, my Twitter uh, handle is ccook c k u uh, c k. You can also go to the Twitter uh, pound, law three, uh, pound law three pound law three hundred and sixty l a w three six zero, where we're going to be tw- live tweeting today a discussion for an hour between twelve and one about the these decisions, what they mean, what we think about them. Uh, and as we go forward, and of course, all listeners, I tweet frequently. Um, I'm also on Facebook frequently, David, as you know. I also post stuff on Facebook. So you should follow me on Twitter at C-Cook, CKUCK, C-K-U-C-K. Uh, or you can like my page at Charles Cook on Facebook or Cook Immigration Partners. Um, and of course, the blog, David, is up and active. We had a couple good blogs this last week uh, from a couple of our young attorneys with some great results that they've received. Uh, and you can read that blog at musingsonimmigration.blogspot.com. Um, Musings on immigration. We have hundreds of blogs there, and we blog uh, at least once or twice almost every single week. Uh, It's only when I get tired I don't blog, David. Sometimes I just I just get tired sometimes, Uh, and that happens sometimes. Uh, So I'm looking forward to um, to a really interesting tweet chat today, David. Uh, For those of you, next week we'll be live here on America's Web Radio uh, to talk more about uh, the uh, the upcoming uh, Supreme Court decisions uh, that impact immigration. Uh, as well as what we're doing for ourselves at the Georgia Supreme Court. Until then, uh, David, you have a great week on the Immigration Hour
1: on America's Web Radio. This is com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.